Welcome to My Life, Tanya Applied with Rabbi Simon Jacobson, a journey into the deepest teachings of Torah and their application to our personal, emotional, and psychological lives. A good week. We continue our journey in the life-changing Sefer Tanya. This program is made possible by Rena Lights LLC and it is an honor and memory of Rabbi Yosef Halevi Weinberg Olova Shalom, Rabbi Yosef Pinchas HaKoyen Katz Olova Shalom, Rabbi El HaKoyen Khan Olova Shalom. It's also an schus and merit of Rabbi Zevi Cheskel HaKoyen and Risha Katz, the Erich Yomim Vishanim Tevis for many long healthy years. We're coming to the end of chapter 8, Perches and Tanya, the last section, and continuing in this loving way, and I specifically emphasize that, you'll see in a minute why, how like a father and mother take care of their child from every blemish, from every scar, from every possible contamination or pollutant or toxin, the Altarebbe is describing in this chapter how we too have to take care of our neshama. And indeed, if there there'd be a blemish, should there be a mistake, should there be a transgression, there's a way of cleansing it. I received quite a few comments, both in writing and um, in emails, as well as by phone, asking, as they were learning the chapter 8 with, with us every Saturday night, every Mitzvah Shabbos here in Tanya, that it can be very depressing when you start seeing the Alter Rebbe laying out the various punishments of Chibut HaKever, Kafakela, the other punishments, Gehenim, as we discussed last week. And as much as I've emphasized, and I continue to emphasize that the word punishment is not an accurate word, it's really cause and effect, still, it just shows you how embedded it is, embedded it is in our consciousness, especially growing up in a yeshiva, in a cheder, that when we learn about these ideas, it's about the punishments that will happen to you due to your transgressions. And it's critical to revisit that. And I just want to share a few words before we continue learning. We have to revisit that because the fact is so much of our education is fear-based education. Fear-based. Fear of punishment, retribution, punitiveness. Just think of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, the month of El. The dread of God enters into many people's hearts. Oh no, now I have to start being accountable. Now I have to start going soul-searching and discovering all the sins that I did. And it creates a sense of demoralization, the guilt, the fear of what will happen to me due to my sins. And for many people, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is simply that. Is a, I won't even go as far as calling it superstition, even though it is for some people. But it's about the fear. And that type of joy, Ivdus Hashem Besimcha, the type of fact, that feeling that we're more connected is less prominent, unfortunately, in most of our circles. And that's simply due, not because that's accurate, because the way it's taught, been taught, it's the easy way to teach children. You do this, you'll be punished. I mean, I remember going to yeshiva and how we were punished. You do this, you'll receive this, uh, this uh, uh, punishment. You do that, another punishment. And what it ends up feeling is, yes, okay, sometimes it's a deterrent, maybe an incentive, 
but it doesn't leave you with a good taste. So when you start thinking about Teda and mitzvahs, and it's, and the schar and enish, the reward and punishment in Teda, you think of it also the same way. There's a principle in the sky who's waiting to strike us with lightning when we misbehave. But what's lacking is a fundamental axiom, a fundamental principle. Why did God create a world like that? Is he simply, God forbid, an axis, cruel, wants to punish people? Create a world with human beings that are flawed, and we're given a yetzahara. Yes, we're also given a yetzahara. We have a, a divine soul, and we have an animal soul, as he explains in Tanya. But we also have an animal soul, and we will be tempted. As a matter of fact, the Gemara even says it's from the things that God regrets creating the yetzahara. Whatever the explanation may be. Because he did give us the Se'er Shebi Isa that causes us to transgress. It doesn't force us to do so, but it allows the situation. We live in a world where the divine is concealed. And then he comes and punishes us. What's the benefit of that? You know, there are people who are just simply um, psychopaths or sociopaths, cruel people. So they set up a situation and then they, they like to be cruel. God forbid to say that about God, even though there's some people have that perception. So even before you open up a Tanya, or you open up any Sefer in Teirach, Siddhas especially, there has to be stated a very important Tagdamen. God created heaven and earth because he, for, out of love. The expression is, God is fundamental core love. And the nature of love is to be loving. We call Teirach Teirach Chesed, a Teirach of kindness. The entire Torah came to create peace, harmony in this world. Its paths are paths of, of sweet paths, of pleasant paths. And all its, and all its roads are shalom, are peaceful. These are fundamentals that you must know. So then the question is, so then why are there these negative things? Why are there curses in the Torah? Why does it tell us if you don't do this, so-and-so will happen? And the answer is because it's cause and effect. It's actually a blessing. There's the question asked on the Pasha. Behold, I give you today, I present to you today, the blessing and the opposite of blessing. So the question is asked, is from the word matana, gift. When you give a gift, you're giving it with a pleasant eye. So one thing is, okay, the gift of blessing. Why, is you, why are you telling me that the gift of the opposite of blessing is also a gift? The answer is because the Torah as a, as a blessing is telling you. You're traveling on a road. It's just as important gift, blessing, to know what road to go on than to know what not to go on. Let's say you're opening up a business. Or you want to start a new venture. So an experienced person will tell you, do this, don't do that. Which is more important? They're equally important. Because you also don't want to make mistakes. You, want, you don't have to go through the trial there that someone already learned from. That's number one. Number two, there are consequences when a person makes a mistake. Consequences is not a punishment. Consequences is a blessing. To know that when you do that, something will happen. Why is there a consequence? Why when a person puts his hand in fire, does the hand get burned? Because the hand is trying to protect itself. 
So it burns on the outer levels in order to protect the inner organs. Every pain, every thing that happens negatively is a, the body's response to try to protect itself. So when you think of it that way, it's actually an act of love that we're being told all the different ways to protect the pure soul from any negative toxins, any negative behavior. And when there is one, it's a blessing to know how you can cleanse it. You don't want to find out, oh, there's a blemish on this garment and I have to throw it out. Or something happened and now it's damaged. You want to know that you can correct. That's the whole point of Elul and Tishrei. Tshuva. That you have the power to correct. After the Jews built the golden calf, Moshe went up on the mountain. It was a terrible sin. But he began and he begged and gained forgiveness. And Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, because it's the day of atonement, Salachti Kidvarech. So this is an introduction that's vital when learning a chapter like chapter 8, chapter 7, especially chapter 8, because we talk about all the blemishes and even things you say, one second here. You know, it, 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 it's so difficult life as it is. Now you tell me, I say one Dvarim Betelim, something that was not Torah, and, and, and it never goes away. I have to deal with it. Like he says, that even afterwards there's a Reshem, there's some type of trace, and we need Chibatakeva, we need to cleanse it out. So you can look at it in two ways. You can look at it, oh, how terrible things are. You can look at it, no. The Altarebbe is teaching us the beauty of a soul, the beauty of a Neshama, and how we, how we have to take care to protect it in the best possible way. It's the highest possible standard. Imagine he didn't have paid a ches in Tanya. And you'd hear about the beautiful things of the divine soul we learned in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4. Chapter 5. It's only in chapter 6 he started talking about Klippa, the Umazah, the other side. Imagine we only talked the beautiful parts. But life, reality is, we are, not everything's going to always be beautiful. And we won't know what to deal with it. What will happen if someone makes a mistake? A deliberate, inadvertent, and a blemish. Someone hurts you or you hurt somebody. What do we do with that? Just say, okay, let's hope for the best. Everything will be great, says the Altareb. But no, I will address that as well. That's part of life. Part of life is another side. There's the darker side of life. And there's a reason for that. As we'll learn later in Tanya, because the Ebrister wants a dirabitachtenim in a world like ours, where there is a concealment and the possibility to make mistakes, and we, should, and we should learn how to not make mistakes, avoid it, or how to correct it once a mistake is made. As he explained in chapter 7, that either you avoid it, or when Mashiach comes, everything will be cleansed, or through tshuva, tshuva ma'ava, the different levels of tshuva that we learned. But the point is, if you think of it that way, then it's actually covering a whole part of life, all the negative aspects of life. What do we do with that? So number one, we understand now that the standard is so beautiful. The soul is such a beautiful soul. Yes, every blemish counts. We're not going to say, you know what, you're not, you're a simple person. It's all right. If you don't touch tzaddik, okay, there we have to worry about every little blemish, every stain matters. But you're a simple person. Says the al no, you're not a simple person. You're a great soul. And just as a blemish counts for a great person, like a great soul, like a tzaddik, it also counts for you. Obviously, we understand that a person of a lower soul level is, is challenges may be greater challenges. Of course, it's understood, but we're not going to lower the standard. I'm not going to say because of my child, this child, baby doesn't have the same resources as the tzaddik in my life. I'm going to lower the standard. No, the standard is high. And 
there's a way to repair and correct. All that's coming from a loving place. When you think of it from that perspective, with that lens, then read the whole chapter, and the chapter should be read very differently. Then you're reading the chapter. How do we clean up? How do we clean up a home, a beautiful palace, a beautiful soul? How do we get rid of the dust? So the Ebershter gave us a whole bunch of methods. Chibotar for the body. Chibotar for the soul. Gehenim shel shela, gehenim shel esh. All to deal with, whether it's dealing with things that come from passion and desire, fiery desires, or it comes from atzlus, from laziness and complacency and apathy. Everything has a tikkun. It would be like saying we have illness in this world. We know that. But do you have a cure? Magdim maka. We're given the healing before the illness. So we're given a way to heal, first to immunize ourselves, and then to heal should there, God forbid, be a transgression. So with that introduction, let's go back now. So what we've been learning here is after explaining the two types of klippas, klippas nega, more than neutral material activities in this world. And shol klippas means the things that are forbidden. Obviously following after we learned about gedusha, mitzvah, the things that are obligate, the holy things that we do that bring holiness and godliness into this world. There are things that conceal godliness and push away the divine truth of existence. And then there's the neutral in between that can go either way. So the Alta Rebbe in chapter 8 is talking about even the things that are permitted have to be also taken great care to make sure they're directed toward a higher purpose. So he goes through things, firstly, food, even when we eat something kosher, and it's not for pure intentions. What has to happen there? The blemish it creates and how you can heal from that. Then he moved from that to dibur. That's maisa, action. Words. The words we use. Even when it's allowed, but it's words that are not tired, wasted words that also needs, that needs to be prevented. And then if, God forbid, somebody speaks such words, you have to, there's a way of cleansing from that as well, as we learned. Then there's words that go even further. Dvarim asudim, diburim asudim, things that are not permitted. Forbidden words. And what has to happen there? Like Letzonus, Lashon Hara, as he spoke about. So there you have not just Kafakela, which is just enough to clean out the dust from regular nonsensical or worthless or wasted words. You need more than that. You need Gehenim. You need the cleansing and the purification that comes from Gehenim. And then about someone who could learn Teda. Instead does Zivre Teda. That was the last thing we learned. So all the effects, that can, negative effects, that has on how we cleanse from that. And now the Alter Rebbe moves to the end of the Perek. He's going to move now. What about things in the mind? Moichin. Machshove. But here he's going to do like an interface from words. And he's going to go to thought. And he's going to introduce the concept of wisdom that is not Teda. Which is interesting. Because there are wisdoms in this world that are called secular wisdom. In the words of the Alter Rebbe, He's called Chochmes Ha'umes, which literally means secular wisdom, wisdom of the nations. So let's explain what that means before we read inside. Now, this is, this is critical to understand. Keep in mind again the introduction I gave, which is that we look at everything from the perspective of the divine. God, a pure God, created a universe, an impure universe. 
a universe that has its own independent consciousness, therefore we have free will, has choice to choose to either follow the purpose for which we were created or not to follow it. Which means we have our own ego and our self-interest. The goal is to direct all that as well and to recognize that there's a higher force, there's God within our lives. And Torah Mitzvah helps us do that. Now, there are things that everybody can agree and understand are destructive. When you behave in self-interest and you hurt somebody else in the process, everybody understands the, 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 how negative that is. But what about if you're doing something, you're reading something, something that's connected to intelligence. We're not talking about wasted words, worthlessness, nonsense. Mathematics. Science. We're not talking about anything that's forbidden. How do we look at that? So you think, well, what's not so bad? It's part of what God created. It's understanding God's mind, as many scientists will say. We're trying to understand the logic and the systems and the laws of nature that God put into, embedded into existence. And yet, and yet, it's still God's wisdom within existence. It's not God's wisdom as in Torah, which is what? which tells us why the world was created. When you study math, or geography, or science, we're not talking about anything that is forbidden. What are you studying about? How the world works. It's called Chochmah Se'elam. It's definitely part of God's plan. If you study the science of uh, the movement of celestial bodies, the sun and the moon and the stars, astronomy, or you study uh, physics, you're studying about the way God created the world. Or medicine. The DNA and the cellular structure and biology and chemistry and so on. It's all about how God created the world. What you don't learn from that is, why did God create it? So you're studying the dynamics of the machine itself. Which is definitely valuable. It's understanding God and God's mind. But you're not understanding how it should be used. That's why science is morally neutral. It won't tell you, it'll tell you this is the physics of subatomic particles, quantum mechanics. Or biology will teach you about the different aspects of how different organs or limbs work or the biology of nature. Someone will say, okay, so what am I supposed to do now? What is considered to be ethical or not ethical? Science will say that's not the world of science. That's the world of Torah, where God tells us, why did I create it all? What's the purpose? How do you use it? to elevate it all toward higher purpose. So if you have a choice, which one to study, they both have value. But ultimately, you can't compare the two. Because one is like studying the rules of how to use a screwdriver and a hammer and other tools and instruments. And the other is how, what to use it for, how to build a home with it, how to build a better life, how to build a better world. So in the context of creating a pure world that is aligned with God's purpose, we have to realize that when you study science, when you study secular wisdom, though it's wisdom, and we're not talking about something, again, that's forbidden, we'll address that momentarily. Nevertheless, if at the same time you could be studying the purpose of using it all, that is definitely superior. And therefore, the fact that you're studying about existence even though it's a divine existence, it's created by God. But it's as God manifests within nature. And that's why you see 
When you study science, or you study any of the secular wisdom, it's studying about you and about the world. So it's more about the yesh. It's more about our existence. So it makes us more significant. That's why it's easy to be arrogant in that process. You don't have to be. There are many humble scientists. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But it's possible. When you're studying about God's purpose, you're not studying about you and your ego and your life. You're not studying about what makes you tick. You're studying about something greater than you are. Who created you? Raise your eyes to heaven and see who created all of this. That creates what we call bittel. So that's why Chachmas Chetzenius or Chachmas Ha'elam or Chachmas Ha'umas. And Umas here doesn't mean the wisdom of the nations. It could mean all nations. It means all people. The wisdom of people. Meaning the wisdom that human beings, Chachma Bagoyim Tamen, we say, the wisdom that human beings have discovered in understanding God and understanding how God creates this world. But it's still focused on the creation, not on the creator. Understanding his handiwork understanding his design. And relative to Teda, that is still part of understanding the yesh of this world. Says the Alter Rebbe now. So let's re- learn inside now. He says like this. The Chain, after he finished what he spoke about, Dvorim Betelim, and all its effects, he says, That's in the original Tanya. Or Chachmas, he says, They're also considered, so a person who's studying, even permitted non heretical forms of secular wisdom, is considered Yechoshev, the Inyan Oven, Bittel Tere. It's considered a sinful neglect of Teda study, tantamount to worthless discussion. Like he writes, like stated, in the laws of Talmud Teda, in the laws of Teda study. The Alter Rebbe has Hilchas Talmud Teda, Peda Gimel, Halacha Zayin, brings it from Sifri in Dvorim, Vav Zayin. Why? We just spoke, elaborated that you're studying something, that you're studying God's mind. But you're studying God's mind as it's manifest, as I said, in the machine. You're studying the machine. And yes, you acknowledge that it's coming from God. When you study Torah, you're understanding, you're understanding God. Not just what God created, but God himself. So in the higher standard that we're looking for here, that's ultimately what gives you focus in life. You can study the machines from today till tomorrow and know the universe very well, but you may never know why you're here in this world. So that's why it's called Bittel Teda. What he says here, it's called Vodim Betelim. In comparison to Bittel Teda. What does that mean? You're not studying something you're not permitted. There are things you're not allowed to study. There are heretical things and so on. Because the Teda says, the words that you use should be in Teda. Because that should be your focus. The focus should be, serving God. 
So we're not talking about something that's not forbidden. We're talking about things that have value. So the only reason that they're considered here, Dvarim Betelim, is because they're not Teir. So they have wisdom, but still, according to the according to this halacha, they're considered Dvarim Betelim. So as such, then it has all the three faults that we spoke about earlier. The fault of doing something that is not purely about your soul and your soul's purpose. Two, the sin of bitl teda, which we spoke about as a very strong, not learning teda, which is our water, our sustenance. And third, the general mitzvah sesa, the bitl of a mitzvah sesa, that you're not doing a positive mitzvah, which we spoke about. That, and each one had a way of, of, of tikkun. The blemish of, way, of, of, of words that Advar and Betelm compared to teda is through, we said, kafa kel is like cleaning out the dust. Bittl Teri says, ancient chemurim, intense cleansing, necessary, and the lack of mitzvah sesa, he said, was like Gehenim Shoshala, because it's coming from a certain laziness, a certain atzlus. So all that applies. That's the vechein, applies also to someone who's oisig b'chach elam. Now, let's, let's spell this out. A person can study secular wisdom and it should be completely focused on godliness. But you also see something else. You can see an arrogance emerge. Look at the worst possible scenario. You have doctors, scientists, let's talk in the time of the Nazis, Yimach Shemam, who use science actually to destroy people. How's that possible? If science and medicine is all part of wisdom, which is all part of God, how God created the world, how could someone use it for the opposite? Because it's concealed. As we'll learn a little later about Shvita Sarkelim, wisdom, even divine wisdom, as it comes down into this world, can get concealed to the point that you can say, I'm a self-made person. Everything I know is my own. Yes, some will attribute it to God, but not necessarily. You could easily say, and it makes you feel even superior. So who's more destructive person, potentially? Someone that is just acting out of a crime of passion or a crime that is premeditated, that's coming from a scientific mind, far more a scientific mind, and we're going to learn about that, that contamination that, of the mind. The point I want to make here is why is he saying such a statement? Because when you learn Teda, on the other hand, you're, all you're learning about is God. What, what God. About God himself, what he wants from us, and the mitzvah is to connect to him. And by connecting to him, it's about taking, sublimating yourself and moving away from your own ego to serve something greater. Now you'll say, one second, there are people that learn Teda that are also arrogant and the name of Teda have heard people. Yes, Teda could also be some of us. Because it could also be trapped. But the Teda itself, the Teda itself does not accept, does not retain, and does not absorb impurities. It's the person 
Any person has free will. It could be a novel Bereshusa Teda, an obnoxious person in the name of Teda. But when it comes to science, you can use the science itself. There you're not even talking about God, possibly. And as, as a result, what takes over? It's me. If a person studies Teda that way, in a way they're doing the same thing, but Teda is talking about God. And therefore there is always redemption in that. So compared to learning Teda, learning Secular wisdom is considered bitl teir, bottom betel, and as such, creates the blemish that's possible. But we'll talk more about this in the next class, because the fact is, he's going to explain to Alter Rebbe that you could use chokmas ha'elam, secular wisdom, for gedusha too. It's klipas nega, remember. It's not shol shkipas But we'll talk about that in the next year. Everyone have a good week. Go to tanyaapply.com where this and all the classes are archived. You can also ask any questions. Be well. This has been My Life, Tanya Applied with Rabbi Simon Jacobson. Please join us again next week. Visit chasidasapplied.com for archived classes and more resources.